Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 today. And to this point, we've been talking about church unity and why we need to have church unity. Today, I want to shift the focus and talk about now Now that we're done with the whys, how? How, how do we have unity? I say church, Christian, in my, in my opinion, pretty much the same thing. Uh, I don't, uh, if the church is the bride of Christ... I struggle with the concept of, oh, I can be a Christian and do it at home. Um, I can't comprehend separating oneself willingly. We're not talking about people that are shut in for health reasons. I cannot comprehend willingly shutting oneself off from the bride of Christ and thinking you're okay. So I may use these terms rather interchangeably. How do we manage, to, how, how do we accomplish um, unity? It's easy. Talk is cheap. It's easy to talk about it. So we're in Second Chronicles chapter 30, and I want to open with, I want to start just right away and, and set the stage. You know, we talked in my Sunday school this class, class this morning about that the Bible is written as a story. That doesn't mean it's not a true story. History has the word story in it. Um, but you set the stage, the introduction. You then have the rising action as, thing, as, as, as the stakes heat up and and things happen in, in the Bible, the Genesis. In fact, the garden is, is, is the introduction, and then there's sin, there's Adam and Eve. And the story of the Bible is how do we deal with sin, and the, and the climax of the Bible is the cross. God solves that problem. Then the book of Acts is the falling action of the story. This is how that plays out in the life of believers. And I think Revelation shows the conclusion to the story. So Second Chronicles is this account this story in history and within it we set the stage so chapter second chronicles chapter 30 verse 1 hezekiah sent word to all israel and judah and also wrote letters to ephraim and manasseh inviting them to come to the temple of the lord in jerusalem and celebrate the passover to the lord the god of israel the king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers, according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he made them an object of horror as you see. Do not be stiff-necked 
as your fathers were, submit to the Lord, come to the sanctuary which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your brothers and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. All right, so let's set some stage here. Because sometimes we get some terms interchangeable and sometimes they're not. Sometimes within the narrative we forget where we're at. Israel and Judah under well, Israel had a kind of a civil war um, in the days of King Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon, and they split into two nations. Israel were the ten tribes, roughly to the north. Judah were were the tribes to the south, the two tribes in the south. And most of the book of First Kings and a lot of Second Kings is about. The relationship between these two people. Judah is called unfaithful. You know, as, as a bride of God, and she is described, Judah is described as a wife of God. She is unfaithful. She cheats on God sometimes. She worships other gods, bad kings. Then there are good kings, and they come back, and they turn back to God, and there are bad kings, and there are good kings. And Judah is the story of, of going back and forth. Israel to the north is not called unfaithful. She's just called faithless. <laughs> There's no faith at all. There's never a point when the northern nation of Israel is good. None of the kings are good. The people never follow God. Eventually, the Assyrians come in and conquer them and drag them out. And they leave a remnant behind. They leave the people they don't want to conquer. The poor, um, the, 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 the crippled, all the people they don't want in their empire, they leave them behind. So, we're at the end of the Second Chronicles. We're in, the, we're in the waning days of the southern kingdom of Judah, which has not been conquered yet. Israel hasn't existed now for hundreds of years. Um, but, Israel, but Judah, King Hezekiah, who is one of the good kings, sends a message to this remnant in Israel and says, come down to Jerusalem and, and, and worship God with us. We're supposed to be celebrating uh, and worshiping God uh, yearly, and we haven't been doing it. Come on down and worship with us. Let's just follow God. And if you follow God, maybe your your relatives in captivity, maybe God will even let them go. But the point is, you need to follow God. And we would like to invite you to worship with us. So put that in American terms. Imagine if the American Civil War didn't go the way that it went. Imagine if it split into two countries. And then just to take this analogy just a little bit further, then imagine if Mexico conquered the South. And, and now we're hundreds, you know, we're, we're over a hundred years later, and the South is this weird no man's land, wild westish. You know, there's some Mexico, there's some remnants of the southern states, and then the northern half of the country invited the people that were left in the South, the enemies that we'd been fighting, and said, "Let's let's worship God together." I mean, that would be that would be a, it's a weird situation, and and for the remnant of the North who had never been faithless, had never worshipped God, had given that up the minute that they split away. For them to come to Judah in the south, to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple, these people had never worshipped God. Their parents had never worshipped God. That's why they were conquered. That would admit they were wrong. That would, that would be to swallow their pride and say, we should have been worshipping God. You guys are correct in this, you Judeans. 
we should have been worshiping God. We need to worship God. We, we got it wrong. We got it really wrong, and, we're, and we paid the price. And, and that would really take some swallowing pride. So that, that's, the, that's the backdrop to Second Chronicles chapter 30, which I think is this, this really kind of incredible account when you think about it. Because it's easy to lose track of the time frame and think, oh, this is a couple years later. But this is, this is generations later. And, and, and these Israelites don't know God. And their parents have been con- and, and and they're the leftovers. It's it's a it's a fascinating and, and incredible. What Hezekiah is doing is unheard of in offering this this olive branch to a people that frankly hated him and his people. Um, this is a big deal. God is glorified when when men and women humble themselves before Him. And admit that our ways aren't right when they're not his ways. When they don't like, when when it's not his plan, it's wrong. Uh, So so that's our backdrop. And so now I want to keep reading. Um, Verse ten. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some men of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind, to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. So, so by and large, the remnant didn't listen, but some did. So a remnant of the remnant said, you know what, we'll take you up on this offer. Likewise, frankly, we were read in the first, in the first 16 verses or 10 or 9 verses that this was Hezekiah's plan. I guess one of the questions become, what will the people think of this? And so we just read that the people of Judah said, yeah, let's, let's go along with this. Let's do this. Let's house clean. Let's throw out our pagan altars. Some of those had crept up. Again, Judah went back and forth. There were, there were, there were some heathen altars as well uh, in Judah. And so the people of Judah got behind this, and, and a remnant of the remnant of Israel showed up to worship God. And they had a big crowd. And so this is going to happen. It takes humility to admit that we are sinners. And that is one of the hardest things, even for Christians, to do. Because we have this idea that when I become a Christian, I'm perfect and I don't have... We, we, get the, we know that we're not perfect, perfect, right? But we get this idea that we're somehow better than others and we're okay now because... And we are okay. I don't want to say that we're not saved. But, it, but if we ignore the fact that, the walk, that a, walk, a daily walk with Christ is daily putting to death sin. You know, someone once described Christianity as God gives us you know, a million dollars and we're supposed to pay it back to him in quarters once a day. It is not easy to follow Christ. It is joyful. But there's a reason that uh, the Bible describes that the way is, is narrow and the gate is small and few, ma- few make it. It's not easy. Um, where I'm reminded, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 
3. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Heard the story of a guy who was voted the most humble man of his town. They gave him a shirt that says most humble man. The day that he wore it, they took it away. Um, we are we are sinners. Uh, we do not deserve. We, we hear the words entitlement a lot. They may get thrown around a lot, but there's some truth to that. And every generation, I think, is a little more entitled. We, we don't deserve, I said to my Sunday school class, we don't deserve internet. We don't deserve television. You know, if, if the internet crashes at your house, the, God has not wronged you. The world has not wronged you. We don't deserve these things. Um, we, we don't deserve God's church or his forgiveness. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We have it because he loves us, but not because we've done something to deserve it. And we're all sinners. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the church. We're all sinners. Now, I do think that such sins as drunkenness and stealing and swearing, and uh, the, these are things that should be going away over time, absolutely, or, or, or you're not really following Christ because his spirit transforms us. And so the longer you're in the church, I think there is less sin. None of us are perfect yet. And, and some sins can be very insidious and hide within us. Arrogance. Deceit, greed, hatred, some of these things we can keep inside and, and, and hide them, kind of. Not from God, obviously. And frankly, it's kind of hard to hide it from the church over time. But some things we can sit on. Some sins are on the outside, and those are easy to deal with. But it's those interior sins that are hard to come to grips with, that people don't want to look at, don't want to admit, think it's okay. And I think within Christianity, arrogance is one of the worst and one of the most dangerous. It's easy for the church, for Christians, to come across as smug and better than the rest of the world. We're, we're saved, you're not. Nah, 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 nah. Very easy to, to fall into that attitude. No one likes the smug and the arrogant. We have to lose the attitude or we will fail. Within the church, pride can tear the church apart. That's one of the hardest sins to get rid of. The people of Israel, northern nation of Israel, had to swallow their pride. And praise God that some of them did. To, to travel into the territory of what should be your brothers and sisters but had been your enemies for years. And to say that we've been wrong, that this is right. That had to be tough. Uh, to come and worship with those they had wronged. How, how would the people of Judah treat them? It would be intimidating. People can be terribly judgmental, right? The church can be judgmental. But that's the last thing that we should be. Uh, it, it was told to me in college once that the Christian army is the only army that's notorious for shooting its own wounded. And I can see that at times. Uh, if someone comes forward and in humility, confesses their sins, the church should rejoice, not attack. Um, we should lift one another up and celebrate humility. And I emphasize humility. Um, 
when we come when when we confess in humility, um, uh, we celebrate that God is gracious and forgiving. And humility is tough. It's an elusive virtue. When you think you have it, you that's the point that you're probably in danger of losing it. And and we know, sadly, some not so humble people claim to be Christians. They're usually the ones that try to get on TV and get in front of everybody and pat themselves on the back. And that's what the world sees as the face of Christianity. And by their nature, humble Christians are rarely seen. But usually their ministry is powerfully felt. And, and, and it is what pleases God. Now, let me also add that humility isn't the same as shy. Okay? It, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean a failure to minister or to reach out to people. Humility means that it's not about you. You're not the center of attention. It's, it's not about you. It's about God. Um, we are to direct all of our attention to God. We don't, want, we don't want people to notice us. We want them to notice God. Uh, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's only about him. Not about what we can get out of the church. That's selfish. But it's about what we can give to God. Revival, something that our churches across the country need. Revival happens when people are fully honest with themselves. What Paul says in Romans. Think about yourself honestly. Humbly, we're not talking false humility. False humility is a performance. False humility is trying to get attention while pretending to be humble. We're not talking about that. Um, we're not talking about you know. If, as I've said before, if you can play the piano, um, I, it's false humility. Say, oh, that that was terrible. Every time you play, that that's false humility. You're 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 reaching for praise at that point instead. Um, if you're a painter and you make a painting and it turned out the way you wanted it to, don't do the oh, it's terrible. You're just you're you're grasping for praise at that point. True humility is when we're honest with ourselves about who we are and who we're not, and we turn it over to God. Ephesians chapter four verse verses one and two. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So, we are called to, in humility, admit that we're sinners, that we're not all that. But the, the, the account in Chronicles continues. So, where is this going? So, they've got this, they've got this party to God, and they're all showing up for it. So, let's keep reading. Verse, verse 15. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood handed to them by the Levites. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover, contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. 
So I probably need to quit mentioning that a quote is getting ready to come from Ben Merrill, a preacher at Harvester Christian Church in St. Louis, because Ben said, uh, and I loved living in Illinois to to be able to go to seminars that he taught, very successful preacher, um, churches of thousands. Ben said, the first time you quote me, give me credit. He said, the second time you quote me, say, a wise man once said. He said, the third time, just say, I've always said. So with that said, I've always said, <laughs> um, if I like everything that we do in the church, then we're probably doing it. Then we're doing it wrong because it's not about what I like. Do you know that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Um, that was, that, that great classic Christian hymn <laughs> was a barroom drinking song that Martin Luther stole and put new words to. And he did it because everybody already knew the tune. <laughs> he knew his church. <laughs> he knew they were in the bars drinking. And so he took a tune that everybody always knew, that everybody already knew. He just put new words to it. So now it's our great classic Christian hymn. But it had a much more sordid past. And, and, the early, and, and the church in those days was very much against that new hip music <laughs> that was popular in the bars. It would be like singing a tune to Elvis, bringing in music to, to the tune of Elvis or Pink Floyd or Britney Spears or Metallica and, and putting new words to it and putting it on the screen and people would freak out. But that's exactly what Martin Luther did. Um, I, the, a church down the road from where I lived in southern Illinois, uh, one day I was on vacation, went to this church for their services because uh, it's nice when you're on vacation to visit other churches. Even I enjoy that. And they had a Beach Boys song with new lyrics and, and heard it. And I remember thinking, half of my church would have a heart attack over this. They would just freak out. It's exactly what Martin Luther did. I mean, it's just literally, and everybody knew the tune, right? You know, the pro- I like hymnals because I, I do know how to read notes. And I, and I do follow along and I can sing parts. And sorry for those that have to sit too near me and hear me sometimes miss some, some bass notes or really miss tenor notes. Um, I, I like to read the notes. On screen, I can't tell what the notes are. So I, I like the hymnals. And, and it's kind of hard. If a new song comes up, I don't know what the notes are. But that's the way that people, I mean, nobody knows how to read music. They're not teaching that the way that we used to. Um, so if you throw a new song up there, but it's a tune I already know, it's a whole lot easier to sing. So I get why Martin Luther did it. I get why this other church in Illinois did a Beach Boys song. I knew the tune. Some churches use praise choruses. Some churches use hymns. Some churches do mix. They all praise God, don't they? You, you can have your favorites, but it's not about you. It's about God. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants, and I know what God wants. And he wants people to hear the gospel. The more people, the better. So how do we do that? So Southern Illinois, very, very, where I lived, and I preached 10 miles from the nearest town, nearest gas station, nearest grocery store, nearest anything, out in the middle of nowhere, very, very rural red, redneck church. Um, the, they loved country music. I don't like country music at all. But I enjoyed hearing it in church because I knew that when somebody would come in and sing special music, and all the special music was country, all had a twang, I knew that 
they enjoyed that, that the community enjoyed that, and it was probably good for our numbers. Um, the music that I enjoy, goth industrial techno, nobody else likes that. Goth industrial techno music isn't going to go over, wouldn't have gone over well in that church. I don't think it would go over well in this church. Special music of that is going to drive people away, not bring people in. I just want people to come and hear the gospel. And if music is a way to bring people in, then that's, that's a, that's, that can be a good thing. Um, but hypothetical, hypothetical. If, if we included, in addition to a piano and an organ, if we included a guitar, if I could guarantee that would bring 30 new people in, I can't. That's why this is hypothetical. If I could guarantee that that would bring 30 new people, that would be worth it, right? Because those are 30 people that need to hear the gospel. Now, obviously, I'm, that's hypothetical. I can't guarantee that. And I don't, what if it brought 10 people in? I can't guarantee that it won't run out more people. I'm not saying we should do that, okay? There, I know churches, I know people, young people will say, oh, we should get drums and keyboards. I don't know that this, I'm afraid the drums would shatter the windows in a, in a room like this. Um, there, and I don't want to drive people away either. I don't want to bring in 30 and drive away 50. But we do want as many people as we can. And if it's not about us, because I've known too many Christians and you've known too many Christians, and, and I fear if there's anybody in here like this, you don't care how small the church gets as long as we get it your way. And that's not Christ-like. And that's not our goal. Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means some might be saved. That's the humility of saying it's not about ourselves. It's about doing what God wants. Many of us are only willing to do evangelism on our terms, and that will never work. It's not even really evangelism. When we win people to our version of God instead of the true version. This event fascinates me in Chronicles. According to... (laughs) There was an emphasis in the first few verses, and then we got to it again. There was an emphasis on they did it in the second month. And the reason is Exodus says they were supposed to do this in the first month. But what we read was the priests... Not enough of the priests were consecrated holy. Again, we read about them throwing out the altars in Jerusalem. The nation had become so pagan that most of the priests weren't eligible to be priests. And they, they may have been Levites. They may have been technically priests. But their lives had spun so out of control, and so they, they'd lost the traditions that, had been passed, that should have been passed down on how to serve God that they weren't ceremonially clean. And so when they went to celebrate this in the first, of the, in the, in the first month, uh, they couldn't. <laughs> the priests weren't qualified. So Hezekiah puts it off to the second month, which also gives him then time. So they get the date wrong. It'd be like, celebra- it'd be like getting ready to celebrate Christmas and finding out for whatever reason, we can't do it, so we'll just move it to January 25th. Um, that, that's what they did. They, they moved it, so they got that part wrong. We read about the fact that, that the people from the northern nation of Israel weren't even remotely ceremonially pure. It had been so many generations, they didn't even know how to get themselves there. They just showed up for the party, and Hezekiah had prayed, God, just, I'm, I'm just glad they're here. They're not doing it right but I hope that you honor the fact that they want to draw close to you, and we should do, right? If somebody shows up in this church and ripped up blue jeans, covered in, covered in oil and paint, and <laughs> sounds like how I sometimes show up on a Tuesday, right? Um, it, if they show up on a Sunday morning and they're grungy looking and they don't look like they belong, I'm just glad they're here. And I, and I pray that, 
I pray that we, are, that, that we have that. That doesn't mean that we leave them there, that we don't train, that we don't teach. Very clearly, following God the right way was important. They offered the sacrificial lambs. They, they did what they could to purify people, but the time frame, the periods of purifying, that didn't get the chance to take place. Um, this was just Hezekiah reaching out and trying to eliminate the stumbling blocks that he could we don't tell people clean up and come to church. That's the wrong order. If they could clean up, they don't need to come to, on their own. They don't need to come to church. Come to church, and then we'll help you clean up your life. We'll help you get rid of sin once you come to church. But but telling people give up sin and come to church is just the wrong order. So, and again, we don't we don't we don't swear that off we don't say oh don't worry about sin just come to church anyway we want them to worry about sin we want them to come to church first and then we're going to help them get get right with god so let's let's keep reading let's finish up this chapter verse 21 the israelites who were present in jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing While the Levites and priests sang to the Lord every day, accompanied by the Lord's instruments of praise, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites, who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days they celebrated joyfully. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep and goats for the assembly. And the officials provided them with a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep and goats. That's a lot. A great number of priests consecrated themselves. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the aliens who had come from Israel and those who lived in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Humility is hard, (laughs) but we have to daily struggle with getting rid of our pride and putting on Christ. I'm convinced that this is why God allowed me to be a locksmith, because I was a terrible locksmith. I am not mechanically inclined, wasn't good at it. I don't have, I don't have the touch. Um, it takes a real perception of, of feeling. You have to really feel lockpicks. I'm a terrible lockpick. Um, I, I'm not good at tools. I just didn't have the skills. I, who had done wonderfully well in, in junior high and high school and got some of the best grades in my school, tests offered, chance to go to the Illinois Math Science Academy, um, scholarship offers at, at prestigious universities around the country. I became a locksmith, and was and and it was a wake up call that I was not good at all the. In fact, I was terrible, and it was brutal, and it was hard. And every day I had to go to work at a job that I wasn't good at and was struggling to keep up with. And I think God did that for a reason, and because it was an incredible chance to learn humility. Uh, and I'm grateful that he taught me that, because I don't know that I would have, I think I would have been a very arrogant preacher before. Now hear me, I think pride is still an easy thing to fall into, and, and, and I, I still think that I struggle 
with trying to be humble, and I think I still struggle against arrogance. Um, I absolutely still think that that's there. Uh, I did, I, but I think I'm better than I would have been without this seven-year lesson of you're not good at this, um, and you're going to have to ask for help a lot, and you're going to have to ask for people to bail you out, uh, and, and you're never going to be good enough to be able to brag about, I, got, I, I, I picked this lock you know, instantly or anything like that. It, it was a good lesson for me, and I'm grateful that God allowed me to do that. Uh, I still need lessons in humility, but I think that that helped. Because how can I tell people to worship God if it's all about me? And I have to learn that I'm, I'm just not God's gift to man. So here's the point. When we're focused on ourselves, we can't focus on God. We, we, we can't. God made human beings that I know that fish can look on either side of themselves and a lot of animals can. We look forward. We cannot look in two directions at once. And we can look at ourselves or we can look at God, but we can't do both. And, and worship becomes impossible when we're focused on ourselves. Communion becomes, frankly, damning if it's focused on us and not about God. We come to church to worship God, but it's not just church, right? Our whole lives are in worship of, of a God who loves us more than we deserve. Um, our life is not about what we want, but about what God wants. So, so we think of the prophet Jonah. God says, Jonah, I want you to do this. Jonah says, I don't want to do that. So Jonah does this, and his life falls apart. And we're a lot like Jonah. Oh, I, I don't think God, for most of us, sends us to Spain or wherever Tarshish was uh, to, to minister to people that we, you know, well, God sent him to Nineveh. Jonah ran to Spain, forgive me. Uh, Nineveh's gone. He's not sending us to the Assyrians to, you know, ministers in a, in, a, in, a, in a nation that maybe hates us. Most of us aren't sent that way. But we're asked to deny ourselves and take on Christ. And a lot of us say, no, 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 on my terms. And we do our version of running away. And most of us will never be, most of us being all of us, will never be swallowed by a giant fish. And, and, and have those experiences that Jonah had. But we have our version of it. We miss out on his blessings in different ways. Now, when I say miss out on his blessings, this isn't a health and wealth gospel. Uh, I think the reason that depression is so high in so many people, even in the church sometimes, is that sometimes we lose track of where we're going. We focus on ourselves, and that self-focus can never bring fulfillment. We weren't made for that. Uh, we're so busy pursuing our own agenda, not God's, that that we get discouraged because pursuing yourself, hedonism, will never bring joy. It will never bring fulfillment. It's just a distraction until we wake up one day and realize that that's all it is, that it's meaningless. We put God first in our life, and we will have a fulfilling life. Put self first, and we will not. Until we put ourselves to death, take up our cross, and follow him, we have not surrendered to him. Talk is cheap. Um, Talk isn't being holy. Holy isn't coming to church and talking about being holy. It's actually doing the work of following God, serving others, denying ourselves. Lordship is difficult in today's society. We rarely get it. I, I struggle with it. Every Sunday I think, I'll, be, I'll, I'll do a better job following God this week. And every week, I, the devil knows which buttons to push. And, and he knows which temptations to put in front of me. 
and, and I struggle, and I think that we all do. And every, every week I say, I'll do a better job giving my life to God next week, and, and then I struggle against that selfishness. Psalm 133, the psalmist, I think that this, uh, I think that this could have been about. Somebody said that this was, that this was a, a song about, a psalm about uh, um, this jubilee. That this was when David wrote it, assuming that David wrote Psalm 133, he was writing about the people coming together. And that instead, this really sees its fulfillment in Second Chronicles 30. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The people got into it. Hezekiah summons them. They got into the worship. They forgot about themselves. They said, this is amazing. A week is not enough. We need another week of worshiping God and, and, and this unity Their prayers reached heaven, God's holy dwelling place, because of that humility. Um, We know that Psalm 113, we have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. Let's forget about ourselves and concentrate on him and worship him. And let us lift up holy hands and magnify his name and worship him. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 323. I want to read just one more verse. Second Chronicles chapter 31, the first verse. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah. They smashed the sacred stones and they cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. And after they destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. Humility brings growth. Spiritual growth for a church, numeric growth, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, lack of need in our lives, great generosity. Humility is essential. It is a necessity if God is to be the focus of the church. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow him, Do you know what that means? If not, let's stick around after church. Let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.